Good morning, this is Nicholas Briggs from Doctor Who and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for November 21st, 2023. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflow, Steve. I'm a turkey, Chip Hessenflow. <laughs> you are a jive turkey. I think I used that joke last week. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yes, sir, you are right. It is Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody who celebrates. It is Turkey Day, so thankfully we get to watch a lot of bad movies this week. And uh, the, there's a, a Chicago TARDIS, the Doctor Who convention this weekend. It's a busy week, my friend. It's a great time to visit family. And have them cook for you, Steve. It's a great time to leave your family and go to a convention. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, you have been seeing so many movies this week. I have been so busy. I haven't seen so little. You got to see The Holdovers. This is a, a movie that seems right up my alley. This is a, a really interesting film. In fact, I, I would say a, a good film, too. It stars uh, Paul Giamatti as a professor. Some people know Paul Giamatti as uh, Sam Adams, Steve. Yes, the series where he was playing Sam Adams. And and more, I think, people think of him from the movie Sideways. And this is from the same producers. This is a Christmas film. So the Christmas films have started. Okay. The, um, the, the story is um, some of the kids who are at this boarding school up in New England, um, they can't go home for Christmas. So a professor has to stay back and stay with these kids. And then there's also the person who is in charge of the cafeteria. She also is going to hang out. And what we're introduced to is, um, well, their stories. Their stories. And this um, Paul Giamatti's professor character reminds me so much of Professor Kingsley from the uh, Paper Chase. This curmudgeon, this person who is stiff and really hard on students. In fact, that's one of the things that uh, happens is, um, well, we've got, we, we're getting ready to head out to Christmas break and uh, Paul Giamatti uh, gives out the, the final exam grades and uh, lots of D's there, Steve, lots of D's. But our uh, person who ultimately gets left behind that we're going to follow, he gets a B plus. So he is a, a very studious person. But we learn more about his story as the movie goes on. And, um, you know, he's had some some challenges that went through his life mm. that led him to, to addressing things his certain way. And we learn more about Paul Giamatti's character when he was a young man. This movie takes place during the early 70s. In fact, there may be a little hiccup in it. At one time, you're thinking it's 1969, uh, and then they um, then it becomes 1971 when the new new year arrives. Hmm. But this is a, a journey, and ultimately, this is a story um, about learning to be empathetic 
to the people around you and be aware um, that when people are acting a certain way or have a certain persona, there's maybe a reason why they do. And if you can figure out a way to work around it, to be kinder to each other, to give mercy to each other, I think you're going to really figure out the messaging of this this film. There's a lot of heartbreak that's going on. The Vietnam War is going on. If you're not in school, you are at Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, when you're this type of young person. And one of the um, – they're giving this um, – prayer before all the the kids leave for school and before it they show the stained glass for this chapel and there's all these kids names that um they went over to vietnam and they're no longer with us Hmm. they're being um remembered and um anyway i think that uh, there's a there's some humor in this there's some growing in it and um just this idea just to understand each other so would you suggest this one for everybody? Um, not for everyone, but I would say, you know, 75 out of 100 teenagers and up would be a, a good person to do to watch this. There is a very 1970s vibe to it. Okay. So if you remember the movies from then, they're not always, you know, uh, politically correct in a way. You know, there's always something that goes on. Um but I do think that uh, I I really like this film. This is one of the better films I've seen this year. Okay. You also saw a movie also about learning, but this one is about football. This is The Next Goal Wins, written and directed by Takia Watiti. So if you've seen any Takia Watiti uh, films, first thing you know is there is this playfulness in his films. And the playfulness in this is that we, um, this doesn't play, take place in New Zealand, where he is from. This takes place in um, American Samoa. The idea is that American Samoa at that time had never scored a, scored a goal in in soccer games, in a, in, a, in a football game, Steve, in a football game. And so they've got this, this coach, who's been fired everywhere. He's going through truly a midlife crisis. His wife's left him. His children are, um, he doesn't get to see his children uh, anymore. Our coach is Max Eisenhart, or some people know him as Magneto, Steve. Michael uh, Fassbender is the name of that actor, Chip. I don't think, I don't it, think Magneto can play soccer. Well, Magneto plays <laughs> coach Thomas Rungan. Uh, and Thomas Rongan, he did coach. Um, he actually has a connection to the U.S. Um, soccer, the international team. He was coach of the year for the Tampa Bay Mutiny when they came into Major League Soccer. Um, but he he had to go to this island, which is part of the United States, interesting, very similar to Puerto Rico. They are U.S. citizens. And he had to teach them soccer. But what he really had to do is humble himself before a group of people who think differently than he thinks. Hmm. And he struggled with that because what you're going to do is you're going to go in there, you're going to show them why they're wrong, you're going to teach them the game of soccer, and they're going to win. But what you quickly learn is you've got to meet people where they are at that moment. Now, you have some basics you got to get through 
you know, there, there are rules to soccer, right? There are rules to how to play the game. But what you can't do is dismiss a culture, dismiss who these people are for your ends. And I um, really enjoyed this film, too. Uh, it is an all-ages type film. I think maybe Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings is a little bit too disney fine for it. Okay. Um, but 55 out of 100. And um, if you need to sit down with Grandma and the kids during the holidays, have a little couple hours to have a little time out, but be together, this would be a, this would be a family film. Okay. This is based off the documentary Next Goal Wins. Uh, and the idea was American Samoa had played a lot of soccer matches and had never scored a goal. So the goal of the movie is to score a goal. I, I love Takio Atiti and his way of thinking. Uh, this is inspired by a real life story but he certainly puts his special spin on it he said in an interview and i'm gonna do with my takiwa tt voice he said i'm just like the guy who wrote the bible bro <laughs> he added he added a little extra to the story and and made it something special exactly i mean and and that is the good part it's as true ish yeah you know there's a true part of the story but there are certainly some things that are uh, made up about it. Taco Watiti ends up playing the um, pastor or the priest for the area. And um, anyway, he is as joyful as can be. You also saw a documentary called The Fall of Minneapolis. This is all about that moment that we all experienced where George Floyd uh, had, boy, a bad, bad day for George Floyd. Well, he died. He yeah. died. Yeah. And this is the Fall of Minneapolis was just released. You can watch it online. So if you go to our notes and you want to watch this film, you can click through and you can actually watch the film. It streams online. This is by a freelance consultant. His name is uh, JC. I'm going to say Che is his last name. He consults with police departments on creating narratives. So that's something to, to know when you're watching this. This is a documentary about the death of George Floyd, the um, the responses to that from the public, and the leadership around the city of Minneapolis. It is not being kind to um, the leadership of Minneapolis. We've got four police officers who ultimately, from watching this, you, you leave this documentary feeling that he they did follow the protocols. The protocols are um, agreed upon by the leadership, and the leadership would be the trustees and the mayor of Minneapolis. Unfortunately, George Floyd, from this documentary, had a heart issue that was uh, clogged, or clogged artery and had drugs in the system. And so one of the things that you're going to come away from this film recognizing as there's more to the story. It looks like the, the body cams are there. You're watching them as this unfolds. It does look from this documentary that they were following protocol. And uh, unfortunately he, he passed away. Uh, the result of that though, and we're going to, we'll talk about this a little bit later on how we're getting our news was a blurring of the precincts riots throughout the city, a system where these police officers were put on trial. Uh, and they are, all four of them are in jail right now for different periods of time. 
the result of this documentary could be a reopening of this. Hmm. We get uh, an interview with the parents of these some of these police officers. We get a real damning of the leadership of the city and their responses to it and ultimately the legal system that doesn't look like it represented these police officers particularly well. Mm-hmm. They have a very difficult job. Um, they are following procedures that and a mission that is ultimately set up by the leadership of the city. And um, as you can imagine, having any person, particularly a person of color, passing away under police protection is um, a very serious, serious event. Um, but I, I can't help but think that uh, that based on this film, so I'm using this film, that that we do have um, a reasonable doubt that they were treated fairly. These officers mm-hmm. were treated fairly. And I, I do think that it's something that uh, if you have interest in watching, you could watch this. I'll say um, 60 out of 100 for this. And only for someone who has interest in this. We're definitely talking about the change in media and culture and how we get our news. That is a big part of our conversation lately. And so you and I both got a chance to see another documentary this week, a a very different take on media and how we get information. This is called 44 Pages. It is the documentary about the creation of America's children's magazine, Highlights Magazine. So this came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. This is currently, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. And it is as gentle as this magazine. So the people who are who are our writers, our editors, our artists, the people who put together this uh, magazine, they're as gentle as this magazine. And so thoughtful. The the idea of putting together literature for children is so special and so carefully designed here. We see the the absolute thoughtfulness that these people put into every inch of this magazine. So for those who are not familiar with highlights, um, you, if you have children, or if you remember your childhood, you know, you went to the dentist's office, you went to the uh, doctor's office, and in the lobby as you're waiting, this magazine was there. And there was always a postcard you could pull out of it and you could send off, and you could get your own copy sent to your home. And there was all sorts of things. A lot of very traditional values being shown through here, mm-hmm. like being a good person. Are you saying goofus and gallant is a big part of your life, Chip? Well, exactly. Every time I sit down and I'm contemplating an action I'll do, I don't want to be a goofus, Steve. <laughs> I want to be gallant. I I love the part of this documentary where they show all the pop culture references to Goofus and Gallant over the years. That is a cultural icon. 75 years plus this magazine has been published in the United States, giving these messages for kids. All right. So there's a couple parts of this that I really, we, we should talk a little about, about. The letters page is something that they take a lot of care with mm-hmm. because you get a lot of letters and children ask about a lot of things, but they have a decorum that they want to have. You know, there are some su- subjects that they just won't touch because they're just above this age group. 
So they're very careful to, and the age group is, what is it, like uh, six-year-olds to 12-year-olds? Six to 12, yes, sir. That's a huge span yes. to try to, to meet. And what a six-year-old finds reasonable, what a 12-year-old finds reasonable could change a lot during those years. Experience changes who they are very much. As they walk into my classroom as 12-year-olds, they are very different from who they were in in their elementary lives. But one of the letters that they brought up, they, they actually had, it was a, a child who was in a very dangerous situation. They had to get the, the police involved. Mm-hmm. So this was not going to be published. Uh, you can imagine anything in your mind that a child would write an, an editor. Um, in fact, one of the, there was a, a, the child that was taken from the family mm-hmm. uh, and the story of where one of the few things that the, the captor would allow her to have was highlights. Hmm. Think about that. And and Terrifying. that was at least a, a view of the world. The, 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 the care they put in to make sure things that are age appropriate and this is a child that wasn't uh, experiencing age-appropriate things. Um, it just what how how touching, uh, how, how absolutely touching. And the tone and the pace of this documentary align with that so well. It so much reminds me of the film styles of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. When Fred Rogers would give us a small documentary view of how things work, that's what I'm getting from 44 Pages, how this magazine is created. I I think many of the challenges we have today with things that go on around us as society is if they put it through a filter of highlights. Now, you know, highlights is not real life, but highlights is very much real life as we would like it to experience for young people. And they they don't deny the the world around them. But I think what we really get is the thoughtfulness they had. The, The artists who sat down to talk to us about when they review the artwork, they want to make sure that nothing is pointing towards, you know, a crotch or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, like, oh, oh, yeah, nothing ever should be questioned in this magazine. The person who reads the copy to make sure it's incredibly clear. Mm-hmm. She was, they, they are exactly who you think they are. Yes. They're like the librarian who's aware of the world around them, but also hyper aware of who their audience is. Yeah, I I really got that feeling from this team of people who are really thinking through all of what it takes to make a child's life knowledgeable, to give a child knowledge and to give them whatever else they need in life. This this is a very touching and very interestingly paced documentary. So we have a, also a tour of the offices. They have a dinosaur head in the office, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Northeast Pennsylvania, right around the corner from Scranton, Pennsylvania, Steve. I wonder who their paper supply company would be. We did talk about the paper in here because they were redesigning at the time of this, hitting over 75 years of spreading that that joy of childhood through Highlights Magazine. I think everybody's got a at least a little bit of a memory of this magazine, and this documentary hits all of that nostalgia for sure. Book it, book it, book it. 
Book it, our book of the week. Uh, Chip, did I mention that it's uh, a special week in in uh, the calendar this week at all? I, I do know it's a special week, especially for you, Steve, because you know what? Birthday boy, it's going to be a... Um... Hashtag not 50. That's what it's going to be, my friend. Not 50. 12 months of not being 50. That is what I have in front of me. Well, that means that you have TARDIS coming up and mm -hmm. certainly Mystery Science Theater coming up. Steve, tell me you read a Doctor Who book. Chip, I read a Doctor Who book. <laughs> of course surprise. you did. What a surprise. Happy anniversary to Doctor Who, uh, born on November 23rd, 1963, celebrating its 60th anniversary this week. But I read the book version, the novelization of the 50th anniversary episode this week. That's The Day of the Doctor. Stephen Moffat, the showrunner at the time, made us uh, all so happy with the 50th anniversary celebration and the story of the day of the doctor is expanded upon in the novelization so stephen moffat did what paramount wouldn't do for star trek yes celebrating star trek and doctor who this week on too much scrolling <laughs> I've been wanting to read this book for a while. It was released in 2018, five years after the episode aired. And the novelizations in the past have always been very uh, tenuous situations. Some of the novelizations are really great explorations of the character, adding emotion, adding feeling, adding story to the episode of Doctor Who. And so I've read quite a few of these. I got to say, this is one of the best novelizations of an episode of Doctor Who that I've ever read. Well, what's interesting to me about this is it looks like it was it was the original script for the show was also written by Stephen Moffat. Yes, this is his creation. He is the showrunner. He is the writer. He is the producer. And he created so many great stories of Doctor Who. Now we've got rtd back for the 60th and we'll see uh how how different this series is going to be going forward so tell us a little bit about this book well 50th anniversary episode was going to be huge this is a huge story of the doctor and the struggle that he had thinking about how to end the time war. The time war is a story that we have heard many times in Doctor Who, but we never got to really explore it until this episode where the doctor had the opportunity to end a war but as we know in history, ending a war usually means the destruction of the combatants. And that's exactly what the doctor is struggling with in the day of the doctor. He regenerates into a forgotten version of himself, not exactly the 12th doctor, not exactly the 10th doctor but somewhere in between and he really thinks through who he is and we as members of the community that follow doctor who think through who we are and what decisions we would make in the face of 
no good decisions. There's no way to win this war. Very much like war games taught us. There's the only way to win is to not play. For a non Doctor Who person, you just talked about your gobbledygook to us. <laughs> Let's be honest. So, as you haven't really sold it to us, Steve. <laughs> as a historian, you know what it takes to end a war. The nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima ended World War II. What cost? What cost was wrought upon the earth because we wanted to end that war? That is the question that the doctor is struggling with in this episode. How interesting. So you also got to, to actually, you listened to this book. Now, tell us a little bit about how you listened to it. Yeah, this is a whole new thing. This month, Spotify has added a huge library of 150,000 audiobooks to its premium subscription. So those of you who are subscribed to Spotify on the premium level, you have audiobooks available to you there in addition to podcasts like, you know, Too Much Scrolling and all the music that Spotify gives us. I was so curious about this. I went straight to Spotify and straight to the Doctor Who collection of audiobooks and i listened to our friend nick briggs give us this story of this novelization of this episode here so how did you find the app of, of listening to a book on tape through spotify yeah, that, that is a great question because I'm so used to the way that some of my other audiobook apps work. The Audible from Amazon app is premium for listening to audiobooks. I do have other smart audiobook apps on my phone for listening to other audiobooks. This one, because of the nature of Spotify, the nature of trying to listen to different songs from different albums, I was curious how it would work for this audiobook. It worked flawlessly. It worked in a way similar to what I was expecting from an audiobook app. I did have to seek out this book a couple of times when I put the app away. I had to remember what book I was reading and rediscover it in order to listen to the rest of it. I was expecting that from Spotify, but it was pretty flawless. What did you think of the library that was available to you other than this book? I am curious. I am super curious what I'm going to do with my Spotify app and my Audible subscription has been temporarily put on hold for my use of Spotify. The The one hiccup that I'm suspecting is going to happen is Spotify has limited 15 hours of audiobook listening per month, which is about two books per month. And after that 15 hours has expired, you can purchase additional time to listen to more audiobooks, but I'm not sure how that's going to work out with my particular reading habits. Uh, I read a lot, Chip. It's interesting that they would say 15 hours mm -hmm. as opposed to you get two credits. You, know, you get two books or something like that, or you get one book or something, something that's a little more, because, you know, sometimes when you listen to something, um, you know, there could be short books that you could listen to. Maybe there's seven or eight hours. There are other books that you can listen to that could be 30 hours, Steve. 
right? You might not get through one of those books in a month on Spotify. It might take two months to get through that story. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. I am looking forward to finding out because I think that the the library is enormous, 150,000 titles. I, I've looked through it quite a bit. I didn't find next week's book that we're discussing with Pam on there. So I did have to purchase that through audible. So I'm curious how this is going to work out for me. This is interesting. And so do you recommend this book? Not to you, (laughs) Um, to the people who love Dr. Who and the people who love Stephen Moffat's writing. This writing is genuinely Stephen Moffat's voice. The novelization adds so much and so many new stories. There's a side story in here with the doctor's wife, River Song, that was never in the episode. And there is a fantastic canonization of the Peter Cushing Dr. Who. There are two movies from the 1960s where Peter Cushing played Doctor Who, and they are not canon. They are not the Doctor. But in this story, Stephen Moffat says that the Doctor loved those movies because they were fictionalizations of his life. And he was good friends with Peter Cushing and he lent Peter Cushing some costumes for those movies. That was a touching, interesting moment in this that will resonate forever in Doctor Who fandom because Peter Cushing being who he is was a very different actor from all of the actors who have portrayed the doctor over the years. This book is fun. This episode was great. It's one of those episodes that we watch over and over again, even though it's 10 years old. It's terrifying to think that the 50th anniversary was 10 years ago, but we get to come together and celebrate the 60th anniversary this week. That's the Day of the Doctor, published in 2018 by Stephen Moffat. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening. Lots of stuff happening this week, but we we have to look out onto the future as well, Chip. Artificial intelligence is helping meteorologists with forecasts, and boy, the, the results have been pretty good so far. What we've seen is there's a quiet revolution, as they call it, that our forecasts are becoming more true, predictable. Mm. And we've been able to go up from three days to six days with a lot more accuracy on that. And that certainly is something that AI has been said to be able to do, is is to make things that we're currently doing a little bit more predictable. This is certainly amazing, isn't it? It it is. To think through all of the pieces that come together to make weather we have gotten really good at forecasting but we there's still some holes in that concept where ai can find some of those patterns and help us with pattern recognition the automation of that piece is going to change the way we do that One thing that is changing a lot is how we get our news. Uh, Some some of us watch a lot of TV, or at least used to, and the kids, kids these days, Chip, kids these days are getting their news from other sources. All right, think of our Minneapolis movie that we just uh, reviewed there. 
Think about how we get our news, recognizing the algorithms that come through social media, how they divide us out. They kind of put you down your own biases. They're giving you what you want. So if you want to say the world is extreme, then you're going to go down extreme biases. If you're going to say the world believes a certain thing, they'll find you an algorithm that goes down that. Hmm. This is why this is dangerous, is that our young people, they use social media for their news source. And you can imagine what that really means. Where older generations, they have their own sense of biases because they get it from mainstream media, which we're seeing is being challenged on some of the um, the information as it's presented right now. We're, you know, It doesn't take long to be on Twitter or some other social media part and see that a, a story that comes out one way you know, a day later is immediately flipped, like, oh, they were reporting this, but, you know, this is what really happened, only to have a couple of days later to show that may have flipped again. Hmm. Um, it really is, we're having a hard time coming up with general facts because life is more challenging than a headline. Yeah, there's so many sources, there's so many cameras out there seeing different things from different angles and understanding it in different ways. And those different perspectives have really made us question some of the truth in reporting. So a third of the uh, of adults under 30, 14% of all adults get their news through social media, through a video app, um, followed by Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Hmm. And people are making... Um, a conscious decision that when world events happen, they're going to social media to try to make sense of them where it may not. I mean, it's just raw data at that point. You know, you haven't had any filter on it. And sometimes you don't even know if you're looking at the right information Hmm. because I mean, something bad happens and you know, maybe you're pulling a video that's live or maybe you're pulling something from a few years ago. You know, it's very difficult to tell sometimes when there's no uh, date stamp on something or something of that nature. And that editorial process that we talked about with Highlights Magazine, sharing that information so very carefully, this day we might have all sorts of news from all sorts of different areas, and some of it, some of it might not come through the same truth filter. And we always can think of like the Weather Channel as our example of that, where the guy's standing out in the ditch, He's got water up to his chest and saying, this is the worst storm ever. And then there's a person, you know, on the other side showing that, oh, yeah, he's standing in that ditch. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why it looks that way. So, you know, the idea of having to pay for the news also um, means that they have to make things more sensational. Um, So there's, there's no clean part answer to this other than that our younger people, who are going to be dominating how we do things in the future, um, they're getting their news through social media. Not just their news, but also some of their entertainment, the sports coverage and broadcast networks are in a huge flux right now. 94% of all the broadcasts we watched last year, the top broadcasts were sporting events. And so our demographic that we're looking at is Gen Z, they are the, the the group, along with millennials, who are going to push us to how we watch things in the future. In 2024, streaming video, maybe through an app, is going to overtake 
our ability to watch over um, on air or cable. Mm -hmm. So these young people are going to dictate to us how we're going to consume our media. And we've we've been going in this direction for a long time. There's there's uh, very little for me on broadcast television nowadays. I don't even know what the new shows of 2023 are. There, that is a big shift in my life. I used to be obsessed with new productions on television, and uh, we're going to shift. And the question of how is it going to get paid for, and what are the costs of this, is a big part of this conversation. Isn't it? I mean, ESPN just released ESPN Bet, B-E-T, which is ESPN's version of a sports book mm-hmm. that is it's being operated by Penn Entertainment, which um, sounds to me like they're, they're going to have the ability to bet on the sporting event as you watch it. Also, FanDuel has a podcast network that's out there. They're buying talent which means that people are going to want to watch this. They're basically going to teach you how to gamble on your video streamed sporting events, Steve. That's terrifying to me. I, I am not uh, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a sports viewer, but I understand the addictive quality of this and putting it in the faces of people is, is in my opinion, dangerous. All right, Steve, let's talk about some positive things. Good. Let's get let's get back to the nerd stuff. That's that's enough about the news and the sports. Let's get to Turkey Day. Turkey Day is coming on Thursday. Turkey Day is, of course, the day that we watch bad movies, also known as turkeys. 48 hours, Mystery Science Theater 3000 Marathon. Go to mst3kturkeyday.com and watch as the conclusion of the crowdfunding campaign uh, comes to fruition and hopefully fingers crossed we get a new season of mystery science theater 3000 that gets you through thursday but you know on friday where's too much scrolling going to be we will be at chicago tardis the 2023 chicago doctor who convention kicks off on friday continues through the weekend Three doctors, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy will be here, along with Rachel Talley, the director of so many wonderful things, including Doctor Who, over the last 10 years. Uh, I look forward to speaking to all of them and, and sharing that with you. Well, so on Friday and Saturday, you go go around, you're going to meet all these wonderful actors, meet all these people who enjoy this property. But, you know, it's Saturday night. Yeah. We should probably all get together. What are we doing Saturday uh-huh. night at Chicago Tardis? Uh huh. The premiere of the new latest episode of Doctor Who, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central. A whole bunch of nerds are all going to be in one room together, sitting in the dark and trying very hard not to squee the whole whole time as director Rachel Talalay introduces the episode The Star Beast, the celebration of the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, Saturday, November 25th. Uh, let's just say be there or be square. Or maybe, maybe we will be square because it's a bunch of nerds. I look forward to our community of people coming together and being a part of this. It is so exciting to hear that the director herself is going to be there. And uh, I'm I'm trying to stay away from spoilers for the next few days. So if you don't see me online, it's because I'm not reading things about Doctor Who. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we come back next week, Steve. 
I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on threads and x.com and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflut. Still turkey, Chip Hessenflut. Still turkey. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Push the button, Steve!